You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, South Bay Church. Hey, Dave. Hey, it's great to be here. It's great to be here worshiping with everybody. Great to have the tech team here and uh, super excited to be here. Uh, Thank you for all of you that are tuning in on our... um, live stream uh, for the church, those are friends, family that are watching, and uh, so today my name is Dave Atkins and I have the honor of bringing the lesson today, and we're closing out our series which has been entitled Our God and Country, and uh, we started off with Owen Thomas did a great lesson about Jesus is our Lord, amen, Uh, then Andy Wingy talked about being citizens of God's kingdom, Brian did a lesson about giving to God what is God's, and then last week Steve did a great lesson uh, and ask the question, whose side are you on? God's side or your own side? Amen? So my title today is United We Stand. So I'm going to be talking about unity. Uh, a big topic, right? I'm going to start off with a couple of scriptures that talk about one kingdom and one church. Ephesians 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One God, one faith, one body. A lot of ones in that scripture. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how this one body is made up of many parts. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, the body is a unit. And though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So I know all of us as disciples know the body needs to be unified. We're all one body. And it's also clear that this one body is made up of many different parts, which that means as many different disciples are come from many different backgrounds um, with many different differences, you know, 1 Corinthians talks about Jews and Greeks, slave and free. But in the church, there's gender differences, male, female. There's ethnic difference backgrounds. There's cultural differences. But we're all part of one body. And God wants all of us to be unified. Amen? Amen. I think unity is, you can see this is on God's heart. You can see it's on Jesus' heart because he talks about and he prays about our unity the night before he goes to the cross. John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know, why was this on the heart of Jesus on that night right before he went to the cross? Well, I think he knew that unity was going to be a challenge for the church. He knew that the church was going to spread to all nations all over the world, He knew the church was going to be made up of a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds. And so he knew from the very beginning that we need to pray. He needs to pray that we can all be unified. I think another reason Jesus prayed for the unity of the church is because how important unity is for the world to see him and for the the gospel to spread. He says that even the one we just read. May they be also in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And he keeps on in verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. 
Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The gospel going out to all the world to be effective needs a unified church. And like I said, unity is a big topic, and I don't have the time to go into all the details and all that kind of stuff. There's so much to talk about. So I want to share a few things that I've been thinking about around this topic the last few weeks. You know, I believe unity is, is a huge issue in our country today and in the world today. We, have in so many ways, are very polarized, very disunified. Just in America alone, we've come through a really challenging election, which has led to more and more polarization. Also in this last year or so, there's been a lot of talk about social justice, racial inequality. You know, and that's great. These are important issues that we need to be discussing, but they also have the potential to divide. Another issue under discussion is men and women issue, equality between the sexes. Uh, so all these things have been around for a long time. They're nothing new. It just seems like the volume has gone up a lot in the last few months, right? And I think for those of us in the church, I think we would be naive if we don't think these things can have an effect on us as a church. You know, yes, we are to live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And yet, we are going to be affected by the world that we live in. And so we're going to have to work hard as disciples not to let these issues hurt the unity of the church. You know, the title of my lesson is United We Stand. I want to start off by talking about the we stand part. Because I believe that one of the reasons that we need to be concerned with unity and that we need to stay unified is because if, we're, if we are not unified, we could potentially not stand. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Now, hold on, I'm not saying <laughs> that the church is going to fall apart. I'm not saying that's going to happen. You know, God is in control. His will will be done. The Bible says that the gates of Hades will all overcome it. So the church is going to be here. God's kingdom is going to be here. However, individuals in the church can have their faith damaged by issues around unity. And so these issues can cause parts of the church or members of the church to potentially not make it to heaven. So that's why it's so important that we stand together. Why do we need unity to stand? Well, one of the main reasons I want to talk about is we face a common enemy. We need to stand together against Satan. I want to look through a few scriptures that talk about how Satan is at work, how he works and he's in our world today, and that we need to be unified to stand against him. Ephesians 6.12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, the threat is in a spiritual realm. It's not anything that we can see physically. It's like we're in a dark room where you can't see anything. You don't know what's happening. You know, getting poked here, poked here, you, you can't see. And you're just like, if I could just see what I'm finding, I'd be so much better. But that's not the battle we face spiritually. It's in a spiritual realm. 1 Peter 5.8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. You know, Satan is actively looking for you. 
It says he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. You know, I remember watching the movie Jurassic Park. I don't know if you remember that. And uh, I remember in that movie, that there was a part that kind of freaked me out because, you know, they got these dinosaurs. I think they were, I, I'm not a dinosaur expert, so if you are, forgive me. It's some sort of raptor. Velociraptor. Velociraptor or somebody. <laughs> but what scared me was it said that this raptor was intelligent. It was like almost smarter than you. So I'm thinking, if I've got a giant dinosaur who's smarter than me, that's scary. <laughs> Satan is smarter than us, and he is looking for us. And he's not looking just to trip you up, make you cause a little lie or do something wrong. He is looking to devour your soul. John 8, 44, second half. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, as we battle with Satan in this spiritual realm, it's hard to tell what's true and what's not true. And why is that? Because Satan is filling us, filling the world with lies. It says he is a liar. He lies to us through people. He lies to us through the media. He even lies to us in our own thoughts. Haven't you ever had a thought and you thought, wait a minute, that's not right. That's a lie from Satan. He even works in our own thoughts, telling lies to us. And one more scripture, Revelations 12, verse 10, second half. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before God day and night, has been hurled down. Now that's awesome, the hurled down part, but look what it says what Satan's doing. It says he accuses them before God day and night. You know, he's like a spiritual tattletale. You know, like Satan's up there telling God, look what he did. Look what she did. What are you going to do about that? Ooh, look at that. He's just accusing us day and night. Are you starting to get a little uncomfortable, a little scared, a little worried? Well, we should be. You know, I think sometimes we can be too complacent about the threat that Satan poses to us. He is very real. He's working all the time against us every day. So how are we going to stay faithful? How are we going to fight against Satan? Well, amen, by the blood of Jesus, but also, I believe, by staying united with one another. You know, I used to think when I was younger that if I just, you know, if I had my Bible and I could pray, me and God, I could, you know, I could be all right. And there was even a part of me that felt like, you know, if I admitted that I needed help, then I wasn't spiritual enough, that I, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't strong enough spiritually. I don't feel that way now. I think God created us, yes, to need him, to need our Bible and prayer, but to need one another. We need one another to make it to the very end. I want to share an illustration. Uh, imagine you're looking down a dark alley. So here's a picture of an alley. So imagine that light is gone. Imagine it's completely dark. So I've got to go down a dark alley, and I can't see anything in it. I can't see the end. I can't see what's in there. And I know that in this dark alley, there are bad men with bad intentions towards me. And I don't have any choice. I have to go down the alley. And so I'm looking down there. I, I, I know there's people that want to hurt me down there. I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know how they're going to attack me. I don't know when they're going to attack me. I don't know what the attack's going to take place. I just know that there are bad people that i got to face going down this dark alley and not be able to see what's going to happen. Right. So how am I feeling? 
Not very encouraged, right? A little bit worried, a little bit frightened about going down this alley. Now, how about, let's think about that. How about before I go down this alley, I can get Steve Marici to go with me. You know, Steve's big. He's buff, right? So, hey, that's, that's helpful. He used to lift weights. So how about I get him to go with me? And then even, how about if I get Dan Rowley to go with me? Okay, so Dan's not quite as big as Steve, he's, but he's probably wiry. And, uh, you know, he's also an engineer. So, you know, he can figure things out. So that's good. And then how about also if I'm able to get Calvin Johnson to go with us? I mean, he's a doctor, right? So, hey, if I ever get hurt or any of us get, <coughs> excuse me, hurt in there, Calvin can fix us up. And then what if also, what if I, can get, what if I also get Andy Wingy to go with me? First of all, if Andy's coming, you know he's bringing a horse. And anything with a horse has got to be good, right? Uh, but, you know, Andy, he, he's also an engineer. So anything that Dan can't figure out, Andy could probably figure out. You know, and plus Andy's full of good advice, so he can help us. So how am I feeling now about going down this dark alley? Feeling a lot better. Why? Because I have these brothers with me. I have them to help me get through this alley. And that's really what the church is all about. You know, the world we live in is scary. And we don't have a choice. We have to live in this world. We have to go through it. But we don't have to go through it alone. We don't have to go through all these things, all the challenges of Satan by ourselves. We have the church. We have our relationships to help us get through that. That's why we've got to stay unified, because we need each other to stand to the very end. But there are going to be issues that come up, right? Unity does not come easy. It involves a commitment to persevere and to work things out no matter how long it takes. You know, if you look at the Protestant uh, movement historically, you know, in our churches is broadly under a Protestant umbrella. Protestant churches are known for splitting. That's why you look at so many denominations in the country today. What happens is an issue comes up, and they may take a stab at figuring it out, but eventually they're like, let's just go start another church. And so you got boom, 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 all these different churches. Because in a lot of ways, it's easier to, instead of staying to work things out, it's easier just to go and start something new. Even in our heritage of the Church of Christ, if you look back through the years, we've also had a problem with this as well. And, and I think today, in our church today, you know, I don't want to be negative or an alarmist, but we have issues that we're talking about that could potentially, Lord willing it won't, but it potentially hurt our unity and maybe even lead to splitting the church. We don't want that. I just want to be real. There's things that are out there we've got to be aware of. Yeah. You know, just an example, the woman's role in the church. There's a lot of discussion about, <clears throat> you know, what the woman's role in the church should be, what should they do or whatever. And again, I don't have all the answers. I'm not going to give you the answer. I don't know it, everything. But I just use that as an example of a complex issue that we're facing today that can have the potential to divide us. You know, let me think. I've been thinking about a concept that I've been thinking about for a while about the church. You know, I think one of our goals in the church has been what? To restore New Testament Christianity, right? We talk about that a lot. And what the idea here is we look at the first century church and we think, you know, let's find out from them how it is to be a church. What does it mean to be a Christian? How do we study with people? You know, what does it mean to work? All these different things. We look at the first century church as our example, right? And I think that's great. I think we should do that. 
But I know for me, what has happened over the time for me is I feel like I've gotten to where I thought, well, the first century church it was perfect. That's the gold standard. And we're just trying to get, if we could just get back and be just like them, we'd be where we need to be. But really, is that true? Was the first century church perfect? You know, as you really think about it, they weren't. I mean, most of the letters that Paul wrote were to correct errors that were going on in the first century church. Read through Corinthians a few times. All kinds of issues. So, how should we look at the first century church? Well, I think we still need to use them as our example, to learn from them. But I think we also need to realize that as we read and we learn about the first century church, we understand that God was still working through the Holy Spirit on helping them get where he wanted them to be. And then we also need to realize in our church today, in this modern day, God is still at work on the church. He's still using the Holy Spirit. He's still helping us learn what he wants us to do. The Holy Spirit's work did not stop in the first century. It continues today. So the first century church had problems. We're going to have problems. The first century had issues that could potentially divide them. We're going to have the same thing. So we're going to look at a couple of examples in the first century church to learn how they dealt with issues that could potentially divide them. And hopefully we can learn from these examples, right? So the first one is in uh, Acts chapter 6. So I'm going to use my trusty phone here. <laughs> the issue comes up right in the first verse. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So right here we have an issue between the Grecian or the Hellenistic widows versus the Hebraic widows. One was getting more food than the other. So the background, so this comes, the issue is sort of a different background. They're, they're both Jews, they're both Christians, but their backgrounds was different. One was from Hebraic background and one was from a Grecian background. So think about this. How could this situation have come about? Well, remember, at the time in Acts 6, the church was still in Jerusalem. It had started in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And you remember on the, in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, there were Jews from all over the world that had come there to take the Passover, right? And then when Peter preached and the 3,000 were baptized, so you had Jews from all over the world become Christians, and they decided to stay in Jerusalem and, and, and help the church grow and that type of thing. So you've got, as part of this first century church in Jerusalem, you've got Jews that grew up in Judea, the Hebraic Jews, and you've also got Jews that grew up in other countries, more of a Greek background. And so what might have happened, I'm just speculating a little bit, is that you know since the Hebraic Jews, this is their hometown, they were, may have been put in charge of the food because they're used to the markets, they know where the food comes from and all them, so they put them in charge of you know distributing food to the church. And, you know, maybe they made sure that their families got what they needed and weren't quite as diligent with the other uh, non-Grecian Jews. So a problem came up. When we have different people from different backgrounds, the potential there is for misunderstandings or things to come up. You know, and this was kind of made real to me personally a few weeks ago, this idea of different backgrounds in the church. You know, we had a regional meeting, uh, regional leaders meeting with uh, the Barnetts a few weeks ago. And uh, they did a great lesson about, you know, 
race and different things and all that kind of stuff for the church stuff we've been talking about for a lot. And then we broke up into discussion groups and, uh, you know, little Zoom breakout groups. So in my group, there was a, you know, we were, the groups were giving us some questions to, to discuss. And the, the first question was, what are some of the earliest messages that you recall receiving about race? So that was our discussion group in our group. So there was a young Hispanic brother who shared, you know, first, and he talked about growing up in Northern California, about being close to the fields, about close to the work, migrant workers, and how he was looked down on, his family was looked down on, because they were Hispanic, because they worked the fields, and how that made him feel. You know, and it had an impact on me personally. It moved me because I grew up in a similar background. I grew up in central California in a rural area. He was in northern California. But I was on the other side. My, father, my grandfather was a farmer his whole life. My dad was a farmer for a long time. And they hired migrant workers. And they may, maybe even hired undocumented workers. So the community that I grew up in, I, I know how the migrant workers were looked down on. I, I totally understood that from my viewpoint. But it was moving, it was impactful for me to look at this young brother from his viewpoint. Again, we grew up in the same type of area, but I had a different experience than he did. Mine was a lot more positive, his was more negative because of our backgrounds. And I believe the Holy Spirit put us in that group together for me to have a better and a deeper and a more appreciation for what our poor, those what he went through that was different than my experience. And that's the church. We have all those different scenarios all over the place. And so we've got to be unified. We've got to work through those things with our different backgrounds. Amen. So how do these guys in Acts 6 deal with this? Well, it says in verse 2, <clears throat> it says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of the God spread. So let's just look at a few things here. We won't go super detailed. But notice it says the apostles got everybody together. They gathered all the disciples together. So they got, let's get together and talk about this. Okay, we got a problem. But then notice they put the ministry of the word as our priority. They said, we, you know, we've got to deal with this because we don't want the ministry of the word to get hurt. So what I see here is that, yes, this is an important issue. We've got to deal with this, but we've got to, make, we've got to deal with it because we don't want the spread of the gospel or the ministry to be harmed by getting tied down with this. So let's appoint some guys to take care of this so that the ministry of the word can still be preached. And also notice the importance of the Holy Spirit and the emphasis on the Holy Spirit here. When they were talking about who was going to be the ones to fix this, they looked for men to be full of the spirit and wisdom. It says it again when they, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. 
And I'm sure these other brothers had the Holy Spirit as well. And even they said when they, they prayed and laid their hands on him, again, they laid the hands probably involved some form of the Holy Spirit. So you see the emphasis on looking for the work of the Spirit, for using the Holy Spirit to help deal with this situation. So what do we conclude here? Well, the church was faced with a brand new situation. They hadn't had this before. They got together and talked about it. They kept the emphasis on spreading the word. They looked for men full of the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, to help deal with this problem. They found a solution and they moved on. And, they, and the word of the God spread. Amen? Let's look at another example. Acts 15. In Acts 15, again, we see the problem in the very first verse. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So right here is the problem. Again, this was a new situation for the church. Now it's not just a Jewish issue, because in the first issue they were both Jews. In this you got Jews versus Gentiles. And again, so how can this situation come about? I think for us today it's a little hard to relate to, you know, uh, you know, why would you think that you have to follow, you know, this whole Testament law? It doesn't make any sense. But put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish Christians, how they might have thought. Jesus was a Jew, yes. He primarily preached to Jews in his ministry. You know, there may have been the odd Gentile here and there, but his, basically he was preaching to the Jews. The Jews knew that they're God's chosen people. That's pretty clear. His apostles were all Jewish. The church began in Jerusalem, so you can kind of see how in the Jewish Christians' minds, Judaism, Christianity, go together. Right. It makes sense. But see, Paul and Barnabas had a big problem with this, because that's not really what God wanted, right? So let's pick up in verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, and along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see what the apostles and the elders had you know about this question again let's get together and talk about it so the church sent them on their way and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria they told how the Gentiles had been converted this news made all the believers very glad when they came to Jerusalem they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them and then when they get there some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of the Moses. So they re restate the problem. Now look at verse 6. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. I want you to notice it says the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. You know, back in, in Acts 6, they got everybody together to talk about it. Here, it's just the leaders, the apostles and the elders. Now why was that? Well, again, I, the problem is, I mean, the, my thought is, back 6, church was still in one place in Jerusalem. Here in Acts 15, the church is spread out. It's got all over cities. It's not just in one place. So it's impractical to get every single person to talk about these things and try to come to a resolution. So we just get the, so the apostles and the elders get together and talk about it. Now I think there's a principle here for us that we should take note of. We, God has given us leaders with responsibility in the church to help us find out where God wants us to go. 
And those of us as members, we need to have a level of trust in our leaders that as they follow the Holy Spirit, as they work together through the scriptures, God can lead them as a group of leaders to help the church find out where we want them to go. Again, notice the importance of missions and people becoming Christians. You know, when Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem, they, they saw the churches, and when they got there, they shared with everybody, look at what God has done. God is spreading the word. More and more Gentiles are becoming Christians, and it says that they were excited about that. And also, again, notice like in Acts 6, the importance of the Holy Spirit. And again, in the interest of time, I'm just going to read verse 8. But if you look through this, you'll see how they looked for the Holy Spirit to find out what they felt like God's direction was. So Peter gets up, he talks to them, and I just want to highlight verse 8, where Peter says, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. So Peter says, the Gentiles can become Christians because they had the Holy Spirit just like we do. They looked for the work of the Holy Spirit to see what God approved of. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to be doing things or opening things that are new to us. You know, for the Jews at this time, this was a totally new concept that Gentiles would become Christians and not have to follow the law. That was like, that makes no sense to them. But they were open and they saw the work and the, and the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, amen, that's what God wants to do. So let's talk about just a few ways that what's going to require from you and me to be unified, to fight through these different things to be unified. So just a few thoughts. We as individuals have to put the needs and the good of the community over our individual opinions or thoughts. And this can be challenging because in America, you know, we're very into our individual rights. But we have to make unity of the church more important than our own individual opinions or thoughts. Number two, we have to choose discussion instead of distance. Just because, listen to this, just because something makes you uncomfortable does not mean that it is wrong. You know, we feel like that sometimes. Wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. There's something wrong here. Well, sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not true. What you need to do is talk about it. Let's find out about it. So just because you feel like you're uncomfortable, that doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, I think this time we've had during the pandemic of not being able to meet together has been challenging, but it's also been a little bit of a benefit. What do I mean by the benefit? Well, I think that one of the benefits is, is that we, we've taken for granted meeting together, and since we haven't been able to, we're like, man, I really miss that. It's important for us to get together. Even people that are like me who are an introvert, even I can see, man, I miss meeting together, you know? <laughs> you know? Extroverts are like, you're killing me. Introverts are like, eh, you know, I can see how this can work, but after a while, they're like, no, I need to be with people. Um, I, I just think about, uh, got thrown there for a minute. Uh, we had a great time with the men at the, at the uh, cliffside prayer. We had like almost 20 brothers out there praying together, wearing our masks and stuff. But I think it's an evidence of, you know, the brothers are feeling, I want to be together, okay? We need to be together. So that's, realizing that I think has been a benefit. The challenge has been, among many challenges, it's a lot easier to get isolated. When we're not around one another, it's get, we can get isolated. And what happens is that, especially if you're struggling with something, uh, that can get exacerbated. If you're having doubts, we need to be talking to one another. 
See, if you're having struggles, if you're having doubts about things, that's okay. That's, that's natural. That's fine. But we've got to be talking about it. We've got to be talking to one another. Uh, you know, finding out, tell, tell somebody, I'm feeling this or I'm wondering, wondering about this. Let's get the discussion going, not distance. Not distance yourself farther away, but pull in and try to talk about things. Third thing is our standard has to be the Word of God. That's not going to change. We have the Bible. It's the inspired Word of God. However, if you've read the Bible at all or studied at all, you know there's some things that are easy to understand in the Bible, but there's other things that are more complex. There's other things that aren't quite as, you know, right there. It takes a little work. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. You know, that phrase, correctly handles the word of truth, sort of implies that you can incorrectly handle the word of truth. When using the word of God, we've got to work and learn on discerning what are salvation issues and what are issues that are disputable matters. And I won't go into great detail. I'm just going to say, in my opinion, there's probably a lot more disputable matters than there are salvation issues. I'll leave you to think about that. And then like we mentioned, we've got to look for the Holy Spirit working. We've got to decide to trust our leaders that they're going to work through the different things. And I believe if we have men and women of God who are praying, who are humble, who are looking for the Spirit, that God will lead them to the direction He wants us to go. And over everything, my last scripture, over everything, all of this challenges as we're working through unity we've got to put love and humility that's got to cover everything colossians 3 verse 12 therefore as god's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourself with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and over all of these virtues Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, I want to close out here. You know, my first point was we have to be unified if we're going to stand together to make it to the end. Okay? Uh, so in thinking about this, you know, I was talking about this with my small group, this idea of unity, you know, a, a couple weeks ago. You know, my poor small group, you know, if I'm getting ready for a lesson, sometimes I subject them to these different thoughts. So, you know, they put up with me. Uh, but when we were talking about this, I had this kind of thought. Now, this is just a thought of mine, sort of meant to be a picture. It's not supposed to be the, the gospel truth. But, you know, when I thought about, when I think about Judgment Day, right, I think about we're going to stand before God, we're going to be judged, and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, as disciples, you know, because of the blood of Jesus, we'll be saved. We'll get to, you know, we're going to go through the gates of heaven, and we're going to start looking around to see who's there, right? See who made it. So I had a different thought. So think about this. What if we still stand in front of the judgment seat of God, we're still judged individually, okay, that's, that's, that's true, I'm not going to be able to take my lawyer with me, I'm not going to be able to take, you know, all my tech team and say, hey, look, they, I did a great lesson, right, that, that, that should work, right, can I give some personal here, God, that's not going to work, right, it's going to be me and God, but imagine if, you know, I'm found worthy, and God says, you know, you can go through, before I go through into the gates of heaven, what if I'm able to gather with my small group or gather with the group of people that helped me 
get here that help me stay faithful. And together we lock our arms and we walk through the gates of heaven together and we see heaven for the first time, not individually where we're looking around to see who's in there. We're in there together as the group that helped each other. We're in there saying, wow, look at this. This is awesome. We get to walk through with those people that help me be a better father, a better husband, better disciple. Who, when I thought about giving up, challenged and loved me and encouraged me and said, don't give up. Who helped me fight through whatever I had to fight through to get me to this point where I can make it to heaven. What if, again, what if that whole group was able to go in and see heaven for the first time together? See, to me, that's a great picture. That's encouraging. Now, who knows what, you know, that's going to be like. Like I said, I don't know how it's going to work. Nobody knows how Judgment Day is going to work. But I thought it was cool to think going in with the people, the relationships that helped you stay strong and go in and see heaven together. Wouldn't that be awesome? So as I close this out, my plea for all of us as brothers and sisters, let's be committed to being unified. Let's be committed to working through whatever the issues are. Let's discuss Let's talk, let's look the scriptures, let's pray, let's do all this stuff we've been talking about to stay unified so that we can all make it into heaven together, amen? amen. I want to pray for our Lord's Supper right now. And just want to, you know, whether we go into heaven individually or whether we go in as a group, the only reason that we're going to get to go to heaven is because of the cross, amen. is because of the blood of Jesus, because of what we're remembering right now with the Lord's Supper. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. However we get into heaven, it's only because of the blood of the cross, blood of Jesus, and that's what we're remembering. So we're thinking about that as we pray together and take the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. God, thank you again so much for your church. Thank you that you were even praying for us the night before you went to the cross, praying that we'd be unified. God, I pray that all of us in the church are able to spread the word and able to keep each other faithful so that we can all go to heaven together. And God, we're so grateful that we have that chance because of the sacrifice that you and your Father made for us for you dying on the cross to allow us the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. Father, I pray as a church, as we focus, as we spend some time meditating and thinking about your grace and your blood, it will motivate us. It will be grateful, God, to help us stay faithful to you and help us to spread your word throughout our neighborhoods and communities. Thank you, God. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.